A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. and welcome back to Owning It The Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. Now, this week we are delving into breathwork. I am joined by Josh Trent and he is the CEO of Wellness Force Media. He is an incredible speaker and he talks to me about the power of breathwork, his experience of anxiety, how breathwork changed everything. We get into quite an interesting discussion around conscious content and unconscious content and what we consume online and how that feeds into our well-being or takes from it. And if you keep listening to the end, Josh shares a discount code for his breathwork course, which is called Breathe. And I will put the link in the podcast notes and you will be able to get a chunky discount off that. And I really do recommend it. I'm in the middle of the course myself at the moment and finding it so helpful. I think breath is probably the most underutilized and underestimated tools that we have. I've really found my conversation with Josh very interesting and helpful. And I hope you do too. Josh Trent, CEO of Wellness Force Media. Welcome to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you all the way from, I know you're in the US, but give me some specifics. Yeah, we're here in Austin. Thank you, Caroline. It's been a minute since we first connected, so I'm glad we can finally do this. I'm happy to be with you. So you are the CEO of what sounds like a very big and powerful media company. Can you start by telling me about Wellness Force Media and then kind of what you do, how you came to be here. And then we'll get into your personal story and your personal experience of anxiety, because I think that's always so helpful to hear from as well. Sure. I I think to be human is to experience anxiety and depression. And if you look at what we do with Wellness Force Media, it's uh, we produce conscious content, you know, audio and video that allows people to discover this physical and emotional intelligence so they can live life well. And I think in order to live life well, we really need to cover the five aspects of well-being. And it's funny, Caroline, I used to think there was only four. 
I was like, okay, well, we're just going to put out content. We started in 2015. So for the past seven years or so at wellnessforce.com with Wellness Force Media, we have two brands, one of them being Wellness Force, which is the podcast. And then the other one is civilizedcaveman.com, which is more like paleo and, and keto. And so between these two communities, I thought, okay, as long as I cover the, the four aspects of well-being, which is physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional, I'm good. But I'll tell you, in the past year or so, I've really changed my square to a pentagon. And that fifth part that I really needed to give more respect to, uh, and that is financial. You know, financial understanding, financial intelligence, which creates uh, a lack of financial intelligence, a lack of financial acumen, creates anxiety for all of us. So my square turned into a pentagon, but that's who we are in a really tiny nutshell at Wellness Force Media with the Wellness Force podcast and also civilizedcaveman.com. You mentioned conscious content. I've never heard those two words put together before, and I'm actually reading a book at the moment about our focus being diminished by all the content coming at us and how this is also a source of anxiety because we're just we're hit by we're bombarded with stuff all day long on our phones what is the opposite <laughs> yeah. of conscious content and do you think that's a trigger for anxiety 100 percent. that's a beautiful frame so if we look at the opposite of consciousness if i'm conscious then I'm aware of and I'm responding to my surroundings. And that's the key. It's responding. So the opposite of conscious content is really ancient fear-based content or fear content. Because if I'm reacting to content, then I'm really not in my center. I'm really not aware of the peace that's within myself and the peace that's around me. And I'm not going to sit here uh, on your podcast and say, oh, it's all love and it's all peace. Because look, to be human is to experience love and fear both. But I look at the opposite of conscious or consciousness, and it's really a fear-based reaction to one's surroundings instead of what consciousness is, which is being aware and, and responding to our surroundings, to be truly awake and aware. Can you give me an example then, like for someone who's scrolling, how would they know there's conscious content versus unconscious or the opposite of conscious content? Yeah, well, it's a thin line because on either side, there can be hooks that pull people into really a, I guess you could say sympathetic side of their nervous system. And I'm sure on your podcast, you've talked about the, the sympathetic and parasympathetic and the autonomic nervous system. But a really brief overview is like, look, guys, we are all controlled by either rest and digest or fear and flee. These two sides of an automatic or autonomic portion of our, of our nervous system. The ANS is inside of the CNS. So the reason I said that is because when I'm on the phone and I'm looking at the phone and I feel something, I'm either feeling potential and hope and peace and possibility, or I'm feeling anger and resentment and rage and judgment or just multiple faces of fear. You know you're consuming conscious content if it's both compelling to you and if you feel hope or peace when you consume it. Now, sometimes when you learn about something that you haven't known before, it can for a moment produce a experience of fear or, or an experience of shock. But after you take a couple breaths, you know you're experiencing conscious content when you yourself are inspired to see things or to live differently than you did before. Now on the other side of it, if you're consuming content that's purely fear-based and making you primally react, you won't feel good after you consume it. You'll, it'll even stick with you for hours or days and, it'll, and it kind of eat away at your heart, at your nervous system. That's when you know 
that the media has put its hooks into you. And that's okay because it happens to us all. But there's a core difference between the two. Okay. So can I ask you just to continue on that thread? Sometimes I would feel like it depends on someone's frame of mind or where they're coming from, whether content is perceived by them as conscious or unconscious. For example, what one person might find is inspiring on one day, someone else who's in a bad place might think they feel pressure. They don't feel inspired. They feel pressure to change their life or that they're not in a good place. And sometimes what's meant as like content that serves people well triggers something in them that makes them feel bad about themselves. So do you think there's something in that as well? And like you can create the best conscious content in the world, but the, the person receiving it has to be in the, the headspace for it to be helpful. Uh, it's such a, you're, you're touching on something very deep. So we're getting deep right away. So, so think about this, right? There is a core difference between feelings and emotions. So when I experience a emotion, right? Like a feeling, feelings can be emotional and physical sensations, but, but emotions, emotional experiences are not always conscious, you know, but, but they manifest through the unconscious mind. So yes, the answer to your question is yes, but there's a lot of nuance. So if I'm, if I'm experiencing an emotion, um, for example, if I'm getting an emotion that is like, I'm not good enough, a feeling of, of not being worthy, an experience of an emotion that is a deep sadness or, or a deep withdrawal or, or some type of emotion that pulls me down. When I see a piece of content or when I absorb a piece of content that is conscious, it makes me face the mirror. It makes me look at whatever belief is making that emotion arise. In other words, if for a long time, my parents, society, my grandparents, my, my upbringing, my spouse, whoever, if people that I've loved have told me that I'm not worthy, that I don't have value, that I'm not a good speaker, that, that I'm not fill in the blank, well, those stick with me until they're really processed and looked at. So when I... So, so there's two parts. Yes, sometimes when you, when you consume, when you watch, when you view conscious content, it'll wake up that hero inside of you. It'll wake up a part of you that has been dormant or that has been afraid to come out and look in the mirror. And so there is a core difference between feelings and emotions, but look, they're guideposts. Yeah. There's no feeling and there's no emotion that is ever wrong. None of these things ever deserve shame because everything you're feeling or that you're experiencing, which is energy and motion, which is emotion, they're there for a reason, right? And so w whether it's something that you're afraid of or it's something that is challenging to look at, uh, we all need each other to help one another look in the mirror of who we've become and, and of what we really believe about ourselves. The wellness industry, I guess, exploded onto the scene a few years, well, a good few years ago now, I guess, in response to being overworked and burnt out and anxious and everything. And obviously it's meant in the, in the best way. It, it helps people connect with their emotional side. And, and like you say, look in the mirror and address things. For me at times, when I've given talks to different groups of staff, I've kind of warned them when it comes to well-being and all the wellness content coming at them that sometimes it can be a bit of a double-edged sword. And what you have to be careful of is that you're not using it as something to beat yourself up about. It's not a stick for your measuring yourself worth, like how well am I being? It's not creating more stress for you because then it will become counterintuitive and counterproductive. I think a lot of people 
maybe it's an unconscious thing and maybe the problem is that they're not being conscious about it. They start adding things onto their day, like getting up and doing a meditation or saluting the sun at sunrise or having a matcha latte as things that they need to be taking <laughs> off their list as well-being. And if they don't hit those marks, then they feel they have a stress response. And they feel like oh, I failed today and I got to do it again. Or they're subscribing to other people's ideas of well-being. Do you think it kind of got to the point where it went so far that it was like, hold on, there's only so much you can do in one day to be well. It's not working if people are using it in the wrong way and they're being hard on themselves with it, or it's another tool for that measurement of self-worth. What, what you're describing is the commoditization of wellness. And unfortunately, wellness has been commoditized, right? People look at wellness tools or meditation tools, or even in my world, which is breath work and pulling that lever that I talked about earlier between the the parasympathetic and sympathetic, these tools can be commoditized. But what's really the most challenging for practitioners like myself or people, maybe even like you, I don't know if you relate to this, is that wellness is not something that you consistently frenetically do. Mm -hmm. Wellness is who you are. It is the core resting fundamental perch that your spirit and soul and body reside upon. Yet we are all being pulled away from that because of calendar invitations and phone and expectations and responsibilities and really a narrative by the media that is being sold that we are not enough and we're not safe unless we buy the stuff that they're selling. And that includes their, the media's penetration into the wellness space. And that is, unless you buy the protein powder I'm selling, unless you buy this, unless you consume that, unless you get this five-step PDF, then you're not going to be enough. You're not going to be okay. Tomorrow's going to be Groundhog Day. And it's just simply not the case. Everyone arrives at the right tools for their own wellness when divine intervention allows that to unfold. In other words, there's perfect timing for everything. So I'm going to find whatever tools are perfect for me to the degree that I'm really looking for them. Because that's the first piece. I have to be humble, Caroline. I have to like admit to myself, I need help. I need help help in this category. Maybe it's my health. Maybe it's my relationships. Maybe it's my money. I think when we do that and we're humble enough to ask for help, I think the universe provides. And I don't think God is a bearded man in the sky. I, I think that there is an omnipresent energy that is loving and caring and guiding all things. And so we, we need a reconnection to that and, and less of a connection to the digital space of wellness that is constantly trying to sell us things. You don't arrive at these kind of deep thoughts and these points of view without having gone through some shit. So if you don't mind, can I dig a little <laughs> there and ask what brought you here? Well, it's a, it's a lot of layers to unpack, but I'll, but I'll think in the context of what we're describing. And that is, I, I was on a path to always consistently looking outside of myself for the things that were within me. You know, my story was I was born into a situation where it was very challenging. Uh, my mom struggled with a mental health disorder. My dad left home when I was very young. I had a deep um, battle with food and uh, pornography and lots of things that were really addictive that pulled me away from my center because, quite frankly, I never was taught. I never had the emotional or physical intelligence or really the spiritual intelligence to connect with that part of myself that is love which is really at the core of wellness. Wellness is loving oneself. Wellness is loving oneself so you can love others. And to the degree I love myself, well, then I can show up for my partner, for my children, for my friends. So my journey was about 20 years of battling with food and pornography and different addictions, really to find breath. And when I found the breath, like I just, 
it was the most profound moment in my life because I had done all the workshops, you know, um, go to like the, the emotional intelligence workshops and, and read all the books. And even the spark of the podcast that I host, it was my journey of discovering physical and emotional intelligence for me, Carolyn. And I'm like, how do I do it? <laughs> and let me share that with other people. Well, really what I found was at the core of my being and at the core of your being deep, deep within our hearts, there is a well of love that has no bottom. It is always there for us, but we just have to be really intelligent enough to access it. And I think we can access it through many different ways, but, but the one that is close to my heart and the one that really drives me every day and for all my students across the world is the breath. You know, the art and science of the breath and the breath is what unlights. It's actually tattooed on my arm and it's in Italian. It says, se posso respirare, posso scegliere. And what that means is if I can breathe, I can choose. And I got that in uh, 2016, 2017, if I believe. It's 2017. Yeah, 2017 on my 37th birthday. We've lost and, a few um, years there with COVID. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2017. And, and I, I got that as a reminder to myself to always return back to my deepest, most loving anchor, and that is breathing. I want to get deep into the breath, no pun intended, in just a moment. But you talk a lot there about the the problem you had, which I guess anxiety was a huge part of that was this love or lack of love or lack of tapping into yourself, love and everything. What do you think, this might be a bit of a tricky question. What do you think the relationship is for, for most people between love and anxiety? I think that anxiety is fear without breath. Okay. I truly believe that it's a focus on the future and it's fear that hasn't been dealt with. So when I think about the creation of anxiety and its relationship to love and self-love, um, give me a moment here because it's, it's a very it's a very deep question, but it needs it needs a couple layers to be unwound. Mm -hmm. So so at the very we'll work backwards. So if you look at what creates anxiety, it's a focus on the future. And if you look at what creates a focus on the future, it's a lack of being or loving oneself, just being at peace in the, in the present moment. And none of this deserves shame or judgment. But what I'm saying is if I'm focused on the future, then it means I'm not happy with where I am right now, or it means that I don't believe in myself to accomplish whatever's coming. And then pause there because that's the first layer. The second layer is where did I learn that? Where did I get embedded or where did I get imprinted from a caregiver or from a traumatic experience in my life. And by the way, trauma could be a capital T. It could be sexual abuse, physical abuse. It also could be lowercase T. It could be neglect. It could be um, parents who were ignorant. It could just be someone without the right tool set, without the right intelligence. So in that second layer of understanding as to what creates anxiety, the second layer is created by a lack of embodiment, a lack of intelligence, and really just a lack of love in action. And so the third layer is, well, how were your caregivers treated? How were your grandparents treated? What is in your lineage, both from an epigenetic perspective, right? Which if you look at Bruce Lipton's work or Dispenza's work, or even Dr. Kyra Bobinet in neuroscience, you'll find that a lot of ways that we be, or a lot of behaviors that we embody, were actually epigenetically passed on to us by our parents. And, and then you can even go to the esoteric realm too, Caroline, if you look at Mark Wolin's work, he wrote a book called It Didn't Start With You. A lot of the things that we experience actually happen on an energetic level as well in the esoteric field. So the third layer, I believe, is the source 
of all the relationship between anxiety and love because love is who we are and we know this on some level and we feel it at times in our life. But the reason why love is fleeting is because we have developed a clouded lens of belief that we inherited from our caregivers, that we inherited from our parents, and they did the best they could, but it's our responsibility to clean the lens, to actually be that love. And I'm not saying that's the easiest thing because mm -hmm. when we're letting go of old ways of being, especially when we're looking at what we inherited from our parents, the challenges can be so insurmountable sometimes, especially if somebody is dealing with financial stress. And this is why I really, really teach my students and also just in my own life. There is a focus on financial health because financial health is at the bottom of Maslow's triangle. And I'm sure you've covered this a little bit on the show. It's, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If at the base of my triangle, I don't have a roof over my head, I'm stressed about how I'm going to feed my children, I'm in complete disconnection from the abundance in the universe, then it's almost impossible for me to do the work that I'm describing. And I hope that makes sense on, on the contrast between self-love and, and really anxiety because it is quite deep. It's quite nuanced. Okay. So let's get on to the big B word, breath work. I, I think certainly from my experience and from anyone who I know going through a hard time with anxiety, it's probably the most underutilized and underestimated tools that we have access to within every one of us for managing anxiety, you know, whether it's thought processes or very physical anxiety. What do you think is the biggest roadblock that people have with breath work? The biggest roadblock people have with breath work is that they tell me, well, Josh, I breathe all day long. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, listen, just because you do something all day long doesn't mean you're optimized. It doesn't mean that you're actually doing it correctly. And, and this is why we're seeing, especially with what we've all been through in the past two years, which started out as a two week, two month promise, right? And now it's turned into two years. But what's really happening for all of us is we are being compressed the rates of suicide, anxiety, and depression right now literally are the highest they've ever been. So all the cynics are going to be like, see, I told you. But I think what's going on here is something far deeper. I, I think what's going on is when, it, when a child, and I'll speak to this because you're a parent and for all the parents listening, the same way that we treat our child, it's the exact same way that we treat the child inside of us. I have a little boy in me. You have a little girl in you. We all do. And so the way that we speak to that child inside of us, and, and more importantly, the way that we speak to our children that we're parenting in life, you know, our little babies or infants or toddlers, there's so much wisdom to be pulled there. And there is so much room for the breath to actually come in and be a completely different barometer for success. Here, here's a couple of examples. If I'm breathing improperly, I'm actually putting myself in what's called an upper cross syndrome. My scalenes in my neck get tight. I start developing rapid forward posture. I have carbon dioxide poisoning. I'm not getting proper blood flow to my tissues. All of this I can lean on uh, because in my past, I was a, a personal trainer. I was in the fitness industry for 10 years. And when I left fitness, I really dove headfirst into wellness. And it wasn't until I found the breath that I started to understand all of these literally thousands and thousands and thousands of scientific papers on, on PubMed and all across really the world that when we breathe properly, we are able to really feel our entire body. And by feeling our entire body, what I mean is we can feel our stress. We can feel our sadness. Breath, breath is like this permission slip to feel what it is we're actually feeling. 
And so when I'm breathing properly, and we can talk about the certain ways of, of proper breath work and posture, but when I'm breathing properly, I literally, Caroline, literally, I can feel whatever it is I'm feeling. Unfortunately, not, not with this audience and not with you and I, because we're here and we want it, we're hungry to learn, we're hungry to grow. But if people aren't with us, this is why they need to share this podcast because our entire society, and I don't care if it's America, Ireland, Sweden, Italy, or France, doesn't matter where you live, our entire society is built on people partying on the weekends, celebrating sports teams, involving in frenetic conversations that have no bearing on their life. What I'm saying is our entire society is built to distract people from feeling the feelings that they're actually feeling. And when, when our society distracts people with unhealthy food and alcohol and all these deleterious things, what happens is people stop breathing. And when people stop breathing properly, they actually start to galvanize an unhealthy way of being. So the return to the breath is, is a return to the permission slip to feel what you're actually feeling. What hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What happens to our breath when we are acutely anxious? Can you just talk me through the physiology there? When we're not breathing, we are stifling so many different physiological processes. We have a, we have a nerve in our body and, and you may have covered this. I'm sure you have because it directly relates the to anxiety. It's called the vagus nerve. You, you had, you had telekinesis there. You knew exactly what I was going to say. So, so the vagus nerve, um, what we need is vagal toning. And much like when you go to the gym, uh, and you lift weights, you, you actually tear your muscles. And then when you sleep, you grow stronger. Well, the same thing happens with vagal toning when we're properly breathing through the diaphragm. And this is a cool thing to visualize. Your diaphragm isn't your stomach. Your diaphragm is a dome-shaped muscle that's right below your sternum, and it goes all the way from the front of your body all the way to the back. So the diaphragm is muscular, 
but it also is an organ. So it's really, really special. And this dome, when we breathe properly, it is actually allowing us to move blood, move what's called the cerebral spinal fluid into the cranium. We have four diaphragms. When we're breathing properly, our pelvis, our stomach, our thymus, our cranial, all of these things can have that, that fluid, not just energetic chi and prana, but especially when it comes to the cranium, the, the cerebral spinal fluid is what is going to wash and recirculate energy in our brain, in our cranium. And this is both scientific and spiritual. So when we're not breathing, we are literally taking all that water, all that energy inside of us, like the towel, and we're just squeezing it out. But we're never letting it come back in because most of us, unfortunately, are mouth breathers. We're not breathing through our nose. We're not activating our, our intercostals. We're not really truly breathing into the kidneys. Like there's so many different things that we have to really be taught. We, we have to be taught how to breathe again because it's a survival strategy, Caroline. When we're kids, we learn how to do short upper chest breathing so that we can protect ourselves. Um, and then that perpetuates. When we're physically anxious and for a lot of people, it will manifest as a very tight chest, difficulty breathing, a fear of not being able to catch their breath. Why is that helpful from a survival perspective to feel like you can't breathe? Like if the goal of anxiety or if the purpose of it is to help you get you out of harm's way or alert you to a danger, why would our bodies want us to feel like we can't breathe in that moment? Surely that's not helpful. Because that stimuli was built by nature to get our attention immediately. But that stimuli was really something that we didn't encounter in nature 24-7 like we do now. So right now we live in a society that is giving us that <gasps> response, that breathless response on a daily, hourly, sometimes minute basis. And the reality is, is that, and there's a lot of science back and forth about this, most people are in adrenal fatigue and the adrenal glands that sit on the top of the kidneys, they're pumping out um, adrenaline and that cues a bunch of different things in our system like catecholamines uh, relationship to serotonin and dopamine there's a lot there's a huge scientific conversation that we, we shouldn't go down because it's quite the large rabbit hole but essentially what's going on is nature gets our attention when fear takes our breath and so nature gets our attention when we're like oh my god there's a tiger <gasps> Or, oh my God, my wife is yelling at me. Oh my God, my child is falling off the bed. You know, whatever it is, it's like nature gets our attention very fast. And that's actually good. I think that things that take our breath away are good things because they're teachers. They, they're here for us to learn from. But what's really damaging, Caroline, is like when we go down this path of all day long, not breathing properly, we're activating that response from nature that wants to get our attention, but guess what we're doing? We're freaking ignoring it. We're ignoring it all day long. We're mashing it down with another cup of coffee or pornography or spending or overworking. And like I said, society is not on our side. It's up to you and I in this conversation and all of us to actually defend ourselves from the trappings and the distractions of society. So. That's what's really going on with nature wanting us to pay attention. But the human mind, our intellect, uh, it's easy to fall prey to ignoring nature's voice, nature's signals. I'm interested to know what's your take on a panic attack, the average panic attack that someone will have 
strike them what can seem like out of the blue they could be doing something completely innocuous that they don't think is stimulating what's happening in the, the brain the body and the breath when when someone has a panic attack okay so in panic attack it's actually a it's a safety mechanism so and i've had i've had these by the way i've had two panic attacks in my life and they are no joke right so although they feel life-threatening they're not and a panic attack is a culmination of exactly what you and i were just discussing so think about at the core of a panic attack, it's like this, I guess you could say like a sense of impending doom, right? Or danger, um, maybe a fear of death or um, a physiological experience of death. That's essentially what we're, we're dealing with when we, when we have a panic attack. And, and the causes of panic attacks, in my opinion, right? And I'm not a physician, but in my opinion, is that when I'm having when I haven't dealt with something, maybe it's um, some depression that has been mounting up, or maybe it is anxiety. And, and you and I did a really good job of unpacking what anxiety is. If I'm dealing with depression or anxiety, or if I'm dealing with really the big one, I would say the big one that causes people a lot of panic attacks is unprocessed grief, unprocessed grief, uh, immense loads of depression that have not been integrated where sadness has, has not been given the gift of being felt. And then also tremendous anxiety, which is again, built on that belief system of unworthiness or, or not being enough and self-love. Um, these panic attacks can feel real because it is nature grabbing you by the shoulders and shaking you so hard and screaming. Nature is screaming at you and saying, you've been ignoring me for five years. Now it's time to listen. So I think a panic attack is actually a beautiful gift. This isn't a spiritual bypass. I'm not trying to be a hippie on your show around a fireplace. I, I really believe that a panic attack is one of the biggest gifts that we could ever, ever experience because a panic attack is a, think of it, think of it. It is a fire alarm that is going off in your nervous system that is doing every, your body is doing everything it can for you to finally pay attention to what you have been ignoring probably for years. Now, also, there is acute experiences, right, where people could take the wrong drugs or people can have uh, something that was prescribed that wasn't proper. That's rare. That That's like small percentage. I would say 95 plus percent of people that experience panic attacks, myself included, it's happened a couple of times in my life. It's because we are not willing to pay attention to what we're actually feeling, to what we're actually experiencing. And we mash it down with all of society's trappings and distractions because we think it'll go away. And so I think really at the core, a panic attack is a gift that nature and God is giving us. From what you're saying and from a lot of different experts that I've spoken to, especially when we get into the neuroscience and, and the, the biology and what's happening in our body, it really sounds like the problem for you know collective anxiety for everyone is it's a big one, but it's that we have this primitive brain this this body built for to respond to nature living in a world that is so amped up we're stuck between this ancient response this ancient circuitry and this very modern world and that's hard to outmaneuver Ooh, i love that i just got a cool i just smile when you said that because it's true we have a very ancient circuitry in our body and I know that, well, let me ask you this before I share, would you consider yourself to be a scientific and a spiritual person or do you more lean towards science? I think 
I probably lean more towards science, but I am open-minded. Let's go science first and then we'll go spirit second. So, so the science behind this is really at, at the core of this answer is the default mode network. And we talk about this. This is actually one of the, the largest training modules in what I teach my students. It's in the Breathe, Breath, and Wellness program. The reason I go so in-depth on the default mode network is because it's really the missing link in, in why people do what they do, ruminate the way they do. It's, it's a really big piece in anxiety and depression. At, at its simplest form, the default mode network can be described as it is a scanning mechanism when we're doing a single task. And so the default mode network volume or blood flow or activation, and this is backed up from PET scans where they look at the cranium and the brain under stimuli. What happens is the default mode network, which it's a lot of systems, but the major three is the prefrontal cortex, the posterior cingulate, and the amygdala. Those are the big three that we want to focus on here. There's other structures that involve the, the default mode network, but really what happens is those three structures light up when we're ruminating about the past, when we're being melancholy, but what's, what's, what's supposed to happen in a healthy brain and with somebody that's done deep spiritual work is the volume or the activation of the default mode structures in the brain are very low with people that don't experience a lot of anxiety and depression and rumination. What we need is we need a lever to turn down the volume or the activation of those three structures of the default mode network. So yes, like you said, we have ancient circuitry, but guess what? Our society and especially in the media, this ancient circuitry is not being respected. It's just not, it's actually being preyed upon. That's the reality. The metaverse and Facebook and Instagram, all of these things exist to actually turn up the volume on your default mode network. If I'm focused on what my neighbor is doing, I sure am not focused on my life. If I'm focused on how I don't look pretty like Jane down the street, uh, I'm not gonna have a very healthy brain over time. So what we need to do is use the breath to turn down the volume of that default mode network. And, And this is what I do with my students is I'll say, first, do your practice. Second, take an emotional inventory of what's really coming up for you. In other words, the things that are causing you pain, the things that are causing you pleasure. And then from that place, start keeping a daily journal or track of what your focus really feels like. Because if you can train yourself, and this is the most powerful thing about breath, if you can train yourself to turn down the default mode network, and and, and science shows us this happens, if we can turn this down every single day, over time, you know, three weeks, six weeks, especially after a few months, you can actually show through breath work underneath these PET scans that the default mode network will be less active when someone's trying to meditate, when someone's wanting to be at peace. Would you be so bold as to say that you believe the breath and proper breath work is the single most effective tool someone can tap into for reducing their experience of anxiety day to day? Let me think on that. See, I just took a deep breath because I want to be honest. Um, I will say yes and. Yes, I do believe it's the most powerful tool, but I actually think it is the fuel for the most powerful tool. So in a way, in, in first of all, my answer is yes, but yes and the breath is the fuel for courage. Because you can't do anything in your life without courage. And, and a great, a great resource for you and for everyone is um, 
Dr. David Hawkins. He was an MD, PhD. He wrote a book called Letting Go. He also wrote Power Versus Force, but Letting Go is profound. And in this, he did a study of hertz of frequency, right? So frequency is how many times that something moves. And in his research, he found that um, there's a scale of about 20 hertz all the way up to 700 hertz. And 20 hertz, I'm, I'm curious what you might feel about this. What do you think resonates the lowest? What, what emotion, what experience do you think is the lowest frequency that a human being could experience, in your opinion? Mm, sadness. Grief. You're right. It's almost there. But actually, grief resonates at 75. So shame resonates at 20. The lowest human emotion we could ever experience is shame. Now, why is that? Because shame is actually someone pointing a finger at you or you pointing a finger at yourself of not being worthy, of not being loved. And then above shame is guilt and then apathy. Grief is actually 75. But once you get up to 200, 200, 250, something really powerful happens. You actually experience courage. And so you move from force to power at 250. Okay. And if love is the, the destination or the answer, you say breathwork is the vehicle? I think breathwork is the fuel. I think it's the vehicle because when I, for example, if you're open, we could do a 30 second experiment right now. I wanted to finish with some actual breathwork that the listener can maybe engage with and me. I'm going to do it. Perfect. And I'm, I'm like really loving our conversation. So I have a really cool gift at the end of our podcast too. So, and it totally relates to the breath. So what, what we're going to do right now is we're going to do six circular breaths. Think of it as a circle. You can do this if you're driving, but make sure you keep your eyes open, right? And if you're not driving, then yes, then take a seat and close your eyes. But what I want you to do is right now, just wherever you are, just put both hands on your stomach. This is the big one. And we're going to do one practice breath together. I want you to relax your jaw muscles, relax your eyes, relax your face, put both hands on your belly. And I want you to take a big breath in. So inhale through your nose and let your belly go out. And then exhale through your mouth. Let your belly come in. Pull your belly to your spine. Let's do that one more time. Inhale nose, belly goes out like a balloon. Exhale belly towards your spine. Now we're going to do six of those together and I want you to notice how you physically feel in your body and what goes on in your mind. Okay. So six times together, no pause, inhale, nose, belly fills like a balloon, exhale, mouth, belly to spine. Here's breath number one, all the way to six together. Last one, big inhale through your nose. See if you can take another sip through your nose, fill your belly like a balloon, hold it and let it go with a sound that you like. And just notice, return to your normal breathing. Just notice you're more calm. Your fingers feel different. Your body feels different. You have started doing the priming breath, the warrior breath that we do in the program because 
this is actually what your body is hungry for. Your body's been hungry for this for a long time. How many days or how many years go by before you actually remind yourself to take a deep breath? And once you start doing breath on a, on a stacked level, seven minutes, then maybe 20 minutes, then maybe you're doing a 30-minute meditation that we have in the program that's stacked with binaural beats to actually put your brain in an entrainment so that you're breathing properly, you're, you're feeding your vagus nerve, you're getting that vagus, the vagal tone. And then on top of that, you're, you're training your brain to be in that alpha two state or that flow state. I mean, the results are powerful because with the breath, you can choose, you can actually, I mean, how did you feel just, just literally doing that little basic baby practice? I feel amazing afterwards. I felt during it, I was probably thinking about, am I doing it right? And I actually found it hard to keep your pace. So I think I need a lot of practice. But then when I was done, just the fact of just doing that much deep breathing in such a short space of time, I feel like I just dissolved. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you then just before we go about the, the 21 day program, it sounds incredible on the website and you know there's so much on it, like different breath work for issues, whether it's calming anxiety or public speaking or self-love. Can you just give me an overview of the 21 day program? Who is it for? Why would someone listening find it useful and what could they expect from it? So I, I built the program from my own quest to conquer my own anxiety and my own depression. And so what I was looking for and for, and for who the program was built for it's somebody who's dealing with chronic stress. It's someone who wants freedom from their chronic stress using their breath. And simplified, this is a three-week experience where, you know, in the very first week, just like when you learn any tool, you're going to activate yourself. You're going to start understanding what all of these parts of your biology can do for you. You're going to understand the three phases of stress reduction. You're going to know how to set up your posture and your breathing space. You're going to start doing these seven minute practices that really essentially are, are quite similar to what Caroline and I did right now. And then in the second week, you're going to start to integrate. You're going to start to learn about these acute style breathing, you know, breath work for meditation, breath work for public speaking, breath work for relationship conflict. Um, and then in the third week, this is where you really start to get mastery. This is where we're going to introduce different clearing physiologies, different um, aspects of the default mode network, how breath work can unlock self-love and personal power. And, and also these binaural beats. This is, this is a big one, Caroline. I just added these to the program. It is lighting me up. You know, when you do something in life and you're just like, I feel like a kid when I'm doing it, <laughs> this is what mm -hmm. in the third week, um, and actually people can access it right away. As soon as they get the program, these binaural uh, frequencies, that I've been putting into the breathwork meditations. They're powerful. I, I partner with a guy called Brian Larson. He's a musician, a longtime musician. And in these breathwork meditations, we're accessing different theta waves and alpha for creativity and, and really delta for sleep. And so the breath can not only in the third week give you exactly what you need, which is a relief from anxiety and an unpacking and, a, and an integration of, of the depression, but also, once you start feeling good, it's like, well, how, how can I feel good all the time? Or how can I feel good at least most of the time? I think it's impossible for us to be like 24-7 feeling good, right? So, so in this three-week program, it's my promise to everyone that it's something that I do myself. It's something that I've taught thousands of students. And I really do believe that it can give you freedom from your chronic stress because that's the breath. That's what the breath is here for. Um, so it's breathwork.io. 
And I said I was going to get a gift, so I want to give a gift. First of all, I'm going to give you access to the program, Caroline, so that you can actually do these yourself. You're going to make all my listeners very jealous now because they have to sign up. <laughs> well, but the, here's the gift, right? And I've never done this before. I'm going to give actually 30%. I usually give like 15% just because our production costs have been high. It's, it's for video and software and all this. I'm going to give 30% to your audience. Um, it's a co- I haven't given out a code like that at all in 2022. So 30%, all you have to do is just go to breathwork.io and enter the code Caroline um, and you get 30% off the program. So it's definitely going to be like the same or cheaper than taking your family out to dinner on a weekend. Um, I wanted to get these these tools into as many hands as possible. So that's the code. It's Caroline over at breathwork.io and you get 30% off. Oh my God, Josh, thank you so much. I have I've gotten so much from everything you've said. I've so enjoyed it and I'm so excited to go and do the course and I guess tap into what I have always known but been too busy to pay attention to is the most important part of of wellness, which is, is breath work. So I can't thank you enough. Well, wonderful, Caroline. High five from Austin and I'll see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The easiest way to access owning it real time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.